The epistle lesson appointed for this, the seventh Sunday after Pentecost, is taken from the book of Romans, the eighth chapter. And here we are reminded by St. Paul that not only are we uh, suffering under the consequence of sin, but all of creation has been corrupted by sin as well and is groaning under the weight and the curse of sin. Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he searches hearts, no, but he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 13th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. There's no need. Please remain seated. Jesus continues on with another parable, as we heard last Sunday, so he continues with this parable. And Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed, who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore again, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Well, then Jesus left the crowds and he went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of this age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun In the kingdom of their Father, he who has ears, let him hear. 
This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Those of you who are here, please be seated. And if you're standing at home, you may be seated too. Well, the question I'm often asked is, what does the phrase mean, here I will raise my Ebenezer? And we just sang those words just moments ago in that beautiful hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. What is an Ebenezer? Well, Ebenezer is a reference to an Old Testament monument that was erected by Samuel the prophet. We read about this monument in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone, and he set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and he named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. Now, we maybe need a little bit of background to this, to this verse. You see, like so many times before, the Israelites had disobeyed the Lord. They had wandered away from the Lord and were worshiping false gods. And as they worshiped false gods, God would often have pagan nations rise up against them, defeat them in battle, in war, whatever. And then the people of Israel would repent of their sin, turn to the Lord, and they would follow him for a time. And then they would hit repeat and do the same thing over and over again. And that was the case here. The people of Israel had been guilty of idolatry, and they were now worshiping Asterisks. This is the God of fertility and love and war. And God decided to send the Philistines to punish them, to chastise them, to to help them to see that they were wandering away from the Lord and actually to bring them back into a relationship with him. And so prior to this text, the Philistines had encountered the Israelites in battle on two separate occasions. And in both cases, the Israelites suffered a humiliating defeat. In the first battle there were 4,000 Israelites who died. In the second battle, there were 30,000 fighting soldiers who perished, including Eli's crooked sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And most maybe shocking of all, the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines. Now, I won't tell you all that story about what happened to the Philistines once they had captured the Ark of the Covenant, but if you ever want an interesting and even humorous read, then I would suggest that you go to 1 Samuel and read those chapters that relate to that, that moment in time when the Ark of the Covenant was amongst the Philistines. Because eventually the Philistines bring the Ark of the Covenant back to the Israelites and say, you have this. Please, take it away from us. And so, now, the Israelites because of these two humiliating and crushing defeats, have recognized that they have indeed sinned against the Lord. And they've come to Samuel and they've said, Samuel, please intercede on our behalf and ask God to forgive us, for we are repentant of our idolatry, of our corruption. And so Samuel begins to offer up a burnt offering on their behalf, asking God to forgive the people of Israel for their sin. And it's during this time, as as Samuel is offering up this burnt offering on behalf of the people of Israel, who are repentant before the Lord, that now news is coming to the people of Israel, and the Philistines are once again lining themselves up to this time annihilate the Israelites. 
I mean, the Philistines are very confident. They've already won two battles. And now they're hoping for a third victory. And it's with almost certain crushing defeat looming in the future that the Israelites again come to Samuel and they plead with this prophet, this priest, and they say, please go to God on our behalf and ask him to grant us victory over the Philistines. And so we read, when Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offerings, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered. This is where it would be appropriate for some thunder. That day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them in such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. And the men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and they pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to the point below Bethkar. It's of interest that the Philistine god is known as Dagon. Dagon is known as the weather god. He's known as the rider of the clouds. And there's even been statuettes found of him banishing a thunderbolt. Thus, when the Lord thunders, and he threw the Philistines into panic and confusion, the Lord is actually demonstrating that he is more powerful than this anemic god that they worship called Dagon. Now, there may have been confusion and panic in the army of the Philistines, but there was no confusion in the Israelite camp as to how the victory was achieved. Conquest over the Philistines on that day is wholly the work of the Lord. And so, Samuel erects a large monument, a stone, and he sets it up between Mizpah and Shen, and he gives it the name Ebenezer, saying, thus far, the Lord has helped us. Now, the monument named Ebenezer means stone of help. This monument was extremely important in the life of the people of Israel for any number of reasons because it speaks to a number of truths. First, when the people of Israel looked to the monument Ebenezer, they were reminded that they, the people of Israel, are guilty, that they're guilty of idolatry, that they have worshipped and served false gods, that they have deserved only God's wrath and judgment for their sin and their rebellion. But that monument also speaks to them of God's grace and forgiveness, of his help and his protection. Ebenezer, strange word, isn't it? You don't hear too many children called Ebenezer today, although it's a beautiful word, really. But Ebenezer is one word in the English language, but it's actually two words in the Hebrew. It comes from Eben, which means stone. And it's worth noting that that word Eben, stone, is often used in passages in reference to the Messiah being the cornerstone, the, the foundation stone. So, for instance, in Isaiah 28, 16, it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation, the one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. And again in Psalm 118, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And so it's a stone. It's a foundation stone. But it's a stone of help. Ezer, that's the second Hebrew word. Ezer. It means help. This word is used some 80 times in the Old Testament and almost always or, or generally it indicates military assistance. And so in the scriptures, when it says 
Ezer and talks about help, it often is describing God in a military fashion who is coming to the aid and the assistance of his people who are helpless, and he will fight on their behalf. So this word is used in Isaiah 41 when it says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, for I will help you. Do not be afraid, O little Israel. Do not fear, for I myself will help you. And so when the people of Israel looked at this monument, Ebenezer, they thought of God as being their cornerstone, their foundation stone, the stone upon which they would build their lives. But not only did they think of him being the cornerstone of their lives, but also that he was their help, that he was the one who would fight on their behalf, that he would be the one who would protect them from the Philistines and any other future enemies that they might have. Ebenezer speaks of God's grace and protection and help for his people. That God is the helper of his people is a common theme that runs throughout the Old Testament. But it really comes to the forefront in the hymnody of the Psalms. For example, the Psalms portray the Lord as the helper of the poor. In Psalm 72 we read, For he will help the needy who cry out. It portrays God as the helper of the fatherless. In Psalm 10 we read, But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you, and you are the helper of the fatherless. The Psalms portray God as the helper of the ill. Psalm 28, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy, and with my song I praise him. And it also describes God as the helper of the oppressed. Psalm 54, surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. The God is the helper of those who are experiencing personal distress. Psalm 86, give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. And the Psalms also speak about God being the helper of the sinner. In Psalm 37, the salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. So the monument, Ebenezer, reminds us of a truth that is heard throughout the scriptures and echoed in the hymns of the, of the Old Testament people in the book of Psalms. And it reminds us again and again that God is the helper of his people. Well, let's return back to that beautiful hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Robert Robinson is the author of that hymn. Robinson was raised in a troubled home. And at a fairly early age, his father died, and his mother, being fairly poor, wasn't able really to provide for him. And so she sent Robert Robinson off to England so that he might learn a trade. And actually the trade was that he was going to become a barber. But instead of becoming a barber, he he associated himself and lined himself up with a notorious gang of hoodlums, and he lived a debauched life. But one evening, he happened upon an evangelistic crusade where George Whitefield was preaching. 
And the Holy Spirit used the words of that evangelist George Whitefield, and those words impacted Robinson to the point that he repented of his sin and believed in Jesus Christ as his Savior. He began serving at the Calvinist Methodist Chapel, and it was about age 22 or 23, depending on which source you look at, when he wrote this beloved hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. When Robinson speaks in this hymn of raising up his Ebenezer, he is is speaking of his own life, where he recognizes that God is his helper. He's recognizing the fact that like the people of Israel, he had once worshipped false gods. He was guilty of idolatry, of serving other gods. And he was doomed for destruction. He was doomed to go to hell. But God in his grace, God in his love, came to came to Robinson in the preaching of Whitefield and through those words brought him to a point of repentance and he believed in Christ as his Savior and the blood of Jesus forgave him of all of his sins. He recognizes that it's because of Jesus and Jesus alone that he is now plucked out of that destructive way of life, that he has now been helped in a way that leads him to everlasting life. And even following his conversion... Robinson was all too familiar with the ongoing struggle of sin in his own life. And that's why he penned those words, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. He understood his ongoing battle with sin. And that sin was ever trying to lead him away from the Lord. That the Satan, the devil, was ever trying to gain him into into the devil's kingdom, if you will. And it was only by the grace and the strength and the power of God, his Savior, Jesus Christ, that he'd be saved. Well, the same is for you and me. I mean, did you think about how we began our service this morning? We started off, yes, with me welcoming you and singing a hymn. But then right after that, what words did we start our service off with? The invocation. And then I said, our help is in the name of the Lord. And you said, who made heaven and earth. Yes, you see, right at the beginning of the service, we recognize that the Lord is our help. He is our salvation. The Lord, the one who created the heavens and the earth, He is the one who abides with us day by day, walks with us, journeys with us through the pilgrimage that we call life. He's with us in the highs and the lows of life. He's with us in the trials and the tribulations of life. But he is the one who is our helper. But more than that, he is the one to whom we turn for forgiveness. With the psalmist, we pray, help me, Lord my God. Save me according to your unfailing love. Yes, save me, O Lord, according to your unfailing love. As we pray this prayer, we remember Ebenezer. And I'm not speaking about that stone that was erected by Samuel so many centuries ago, but I'm I'm speaking about Jesus. Because you see, Jesus is our Ebenezer. Jesus is the stone of help. He is the one who was raised up on a cross, and it's his death on the cross that testifies to our forgiveness, and it's ours. God's forgiveness is ours through him and his shed blood. Jesus is the stone, the cornerstone, the foundation stone of our life upon which we build our lives. 
as St. Peter says, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. Yes, to those of us who believe this stone, Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, the foundation stone of our life is indeed precious because we know that he is the one in whom we have life and forgiveness and salvation. But more than that, we know that Jesus is our helper. He's not just a stone, but he's a stone of help. He is the soldier who sacrificed himself for us in battle so that we might be saved from our enemies of sin and death. We contributed nothing to the conquest. He did it all for us when he died on the cross and rose from the dead. And so we rejoice in our Ebenezer. We place our trust in our Ebenezer, who is none other than Jesus Christ. There's another very important stone that speaks to this victory that is ours and ours because of Christ, our Ebenezer. It's the resurrection stone, if I can call it that. It's the stone that once sealed Christ in his tomb, but on that Easter morning, that stone was rolled away because Christ Jesus had risen from the dead. And when we think about the stone that once sealed Jesus' tomb but now rolled away, we recognize that victory is indeed not only Christ our Savior's but ours too. It speaks to life. It speaks to our resurrection. It speaks to the fact that we worship and serve a living Lord who abides with us and walks with us each and every day. It speaks to the fact of why it is that we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. No matter who you are, no matter to whom I'm speaking to, we all need Ebenezer. We all need Jesus Christ in our life. Because it's only through him, through Ebenezer, Jesus, that we who were once lost, or who are lost, can be saved. It's through Ebenezer, through Jesus Christ, that we are able to endure the trials and tribulations of life and not despair or become hopeless because that we know that in Christ we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. We know that nothing compares with the glory that awaits us in heaven. And so this morning I would ask you, if you're at home, to look around your house. What do you have in your home that can serve kind of like an Ebenezer monument? Not that it replaces Christ, because nothing replaces Christ, but what monument or relic do you have in your home that reminds you of Ebenezer Jesus Christ? Do you have a cross hanging prominent in your home? How about a painting of Jesus? or the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? How about a sculpture? Do you have a wood carving of your Savior? Do you maybe have your baptismal candle in a prominent place or your baptismal certificate hanging on your wall? Do you have a placard with a Bible verse on it or a screensaver that is a picture of Christ and and him doing something in your life? 
Do you have a song that you listen to again and again? Do you have a poem that you've written that you've placed prominently so that you can read it again and again? What is your Ebenezer that reminds you that God is your help? Well, whatever it is, please raise it up. Raise up your Ebenezer. Raise up that monument and remember and rejoice in the truth that Jesus is your helper. That it's from Jesus and Jesus alone, from his cross and his resurrection from the grave, that we can sing as we do in that beautiful hymn, Tune my heart to sing thy grace for streams of mercy never cease. Yes, from Christ our Ebenezer, Ebenezer, streams of mercy never cease. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. If you're following along in our worship folder, you know that we're now going to have our offering, and then we're going to move on with the prayers and the Lord's Prayer, sing a hymn, and then we will issue a blessing to all of you who are worshiping with us online. But first of all, yes, we'll have the offering prayers. And again, we want to thank you for your continual contributions that are coming into the church, either through mail or through deposit from one bank account to the other. We truly appreciate that, and we ask you to continue to uh, support the ministry and mission of our church. And so, those of you who are here, I invite you to rise for prayer, and those of you who are at home, please rise as well. We pray. Blessed Lord, we are stewards of your creation, but we have often squandered its goodness and wasted its resources. Guide us to use wisely and for the benefit of all people the fruits of this good earth and preserve its goodness for those to come. Lord, use these offerings that we bring to you this morning so that other people in this world might come to know you as Ebenezer, the Lord who helps them. We pray this in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.